This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. Let's go to uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Acts chapter 8 is a scripture, verse 26. And I'm going to read this text. Uh, Drew is prepared a phenomenal message for you today. But let's see where it's coming from. Here is Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down to Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and was reading from the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. So Philip ran to meet him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you were reading? And he said, well, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come and to sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told them the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Astos, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Morning, church. How are you? Good. Um, did y'all wake up this morning? Are y'all amazed? <laughs> Some of you are. Uh, I will confess that um, I probably should be more amazed that I um, am alive in 2021 uh, than I'm willing to admit. Uh, no, for real, like. We should, if we're honest, we should wake up every morning blown away that we get to be alive in 2021. I mean, think about what it was like 150 years ago. The fastest you could move most days, unless you could afford a train ticket, was as fast as a horse. That's, that's the speed you're moving at 150 years ago. If you wanted to communicate with somebody who lived somewhere else besides two feet in front of you, you had to use a telegram. And you had to get to a post office and do dots and dashes, right? And get it out to them. Entertainment. Your entertainment was books or the theater. You could travel as high, again, if you had the money, as high as a hot air balloon. That's about it. Now, think about what it's like today. I could be on the other side of the country in like six hours. Give or take, right? If I drive into Fort Wayne, maybe a little faster. Use the Fort Wayne Airport. Way better than Indy. Sorry, Indy lovers. Fort Wayne's better. Um, 
I can talk real time, communicate real time, face to face with somebody on the other side of the globe. There are people watching right now in other parts of the country through a camera as it's happening. Incredible. You have, get this, the world's library of entertainment that has been created throughout all of history in your pocket right now. Every book that's ever been written, every movie that's ever been made, all available in your pocket. You could binge watch Netflix right now while I'm preaching, and I will call you out. (laughs) But you could. It's incredible. We send people to space. There is a man going to outer space simply because he's rich. And we're like, yeah, keep him up there. (laughs) We should be blown away by this. But we're all bored. Like, oh, man, ah, my Wi-Fi is too slow. We should wake up amazed every day. In the span of human history, what we have the past 50 years is unprecedented. By You can't even compare. And we wake up bored, tired, lazy. Unfortunately... Most of us do the same thing when it comes to the gospel too, don't we? We get very bored. I don't even bored is the right word. Maybe familiar with the gospel. Well, we should be amazed at the gospel. And you may think, yeah, I, I'm amazed. Like God saved me. I was a sinner. I know my past. But are you really amazed? Because this morning what I want you to do is I want you to be amazed at the reach of the gospel. Because the gospel goes out further than just you and your relationship with God. It goes out across the globe. God is doing something huge. And in our text today, we're going to find how far and deep and wide the reach of the gospel is. And I want you to walk away amazed today. I'm talking about the gospel because that's what our text today talks about. Look at verse 35, Acts 8.35 Luke writes this, and Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him, here it is, the good news, the good news about Jesus. And you're going to find out today that for this particular man, it was indeed really, really good news. We're going to look at three aspects of the reach of the gospel that I, I think will amaze you. But I want to catch us up where we are. If you've been with us for a while, you know we've been working through the book of Acts, right? We started out finding out how the church started early on in Jerusalem and thousands of people were getting saved. It was a very exciting time to be uh, a Christian. Lots of new things happening, new experiences, and it was exploding across Jerusalem. But the the authorities in Jerusalem weren't thrilled about this. If you know, they weren't super big fans of Jesus because, well, they had him murdered. And so they weren't big fans of Jesus' followers either. either. So persecution kept coming. It ramped up and ramped up until we got to a place where this guy named Stephen, right? We learned about him. He got stoned, was killed, and people freaked out. I'd probably freak out too. So they, they leave the city. And most of them go back to their homes where they were from across the lone world. But the gospel just in, in, with these believers just kind of goes out, leaves Jerusalem, and everybody's running And one of these men who runs is this guy named Philip. He leaves as well. We learned a little bit about Philip last week because we found out that he ended up in a place called Samaria. And really cool stuff was happening in Samaria. 
In fact, thousands of people were getting saved in Samaria as well. And it was kind of confusing for Jews who don't like Samaritans very much that they were getting saved, but God is working in Samaria. Samaria. And today we're going to find out that God isn't done with Philip. God isn't done with the reach of the gospel. In fact, it's going to go further. So we're going to dive in and see what happens to Philip today. So like I said, we're going to look at three aspects of the reach of the gospel as we follow our friend Philip. The first reach that I want you to be amazed by is I want you to realize the gospel reaches everywhere. The gospel reaches everywhere. We're going to jump back in our text this morning, beginning again in verse 26. I want you to read with me. Luke writes this, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian. Pause. I want to stop right there because here's the deal. If we're honest, there are places we think the gospel won't reach. There are places that we think God has forgotten. But this text here shows us otherwise. In fact, this text reminds us it was always the plan, right? We remember we're talking about Philip in Samaria, right? So he's hanging out there in this region and it's exploding. And the angel says, Hey, we're not, I don't want you in Samaria anymore. I want you to go. There's a lot of geography happening in these verses, isn't there? He's in Samaria. Now he's going, he's leaving Samaria to this road it says this road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. And I don't know if you're up on your um, ancient Israel geography. That's okay if you're not, because I'll explain it to you. Uh, this road is south of Jerusalem. Samaria is north of Jerusalem. And this road is literally in the middle of nowhere. There is nothing happening on the road from Jerusalem to Gaza. In fact, Luke calls it out. He says, this is a desert place. It's kind of a weird turn of phrase, right? Like, what? What's that about? Let me ask you something. What are deserts generally? I can talk. I'm really good at this. Uh, What are deserts generally um, associated with in the Bible? Spiritually dead places, right? No life. Devoid of life. They're dangerous places. So imagine being Philip, you're in this great ministry, things are booming, and an angel's like, hey, you know that place, you know, it's out there, you never heard of it, just go there. There's nothing going on, but I want you to go. He travels there, and he comes upon a man identified by uh, Luke as an Ethiopian on his way back home from Jerusalem. Now, this is really fascinating because in the ancient world, Ethiopia, you guys know where Ethiopia is, right? You know where Egypt is on the Mediterranean, South Egypt, there's Ethiopia. In this time period, Ethiopia was on the edge of the known world. There wasn't, they didn't know much beyond Ethiopia. You could almost say um, it was the uttermost parts of the world. Because we have, we have the gospel here, right? It started in Jerusalem. It goes to Judea. And now we meet an Ethiopian from the uttermost parts of the earth. Ethiopia was problematic, though, for this man. Because 
Well, let me ask you, how do Jews feel about other countries? How do they feel about Gentile nations? They aren't big fans. In, in their world, Gentiles were pagan worshipers. They believed, and rightfully so, that their plot of land, this geographical location called Israel, was given to them by God to their father, forefather Abraham. It was theirs. And anybody outside of that piece of property was a pagan. Evil deities, false gods ruled over those lands. And so anybody from those lands was meant to, should be kept out. That's how they felt about Gentiles. So you have Philip going to the middle of nowhere and run, runs into this guy who's like, now what? The problem is the Israelites should have known better. Because God was never just about Israel. And Israel's Messiah was never just about Israel. In fact, Isaiah 11 says this. This is a prophecy. It says, In that day, the root of Jesse, who is their Messiah, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush. Y'all know where Cush is? Ethiopia. From Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. And again, in Psalm 67, 1 through 5, check this out. This is a psalm that they would sing at their worship to the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Selah that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all, what? Nations. Nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the people with equity and guide the upon earth, Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Listen, here's the point, and here's what we need to be amazed at. Places matter. See, the gospel is reaching places. The gospel is going out until every nation, tribe, and tongue is declaring the glory of God. That was the point. That was the purpose of Israel. And so often we forget the call to that. Philip didn't. Philip obeyed the call. But places matter. I know I, if I'm honest, I've spent a good chunk of my adult life um, ignoring or at least suppressing the call that God has on my life to a certain place. Um, I'm not like Jonah. I don't just like run away. But I am often have been bodily present, but like my heart is somewhere else. My mind is somewhere else. Um, if you know me at all, you know that I love the outdoors. I love the country. I love rolling hills and fields and lakes. And it's because I grew up that way. Um, that picture down there in the corner is literally from my parents' front yard. I grew up looking at that every day, and I love it. That's the camp that I grew up at. Those are the woods that I used to play in. And I just long for that. I long my children to be able to have that experience. And I, that's where I want to be. Um, right now, this is where I live. <laughs> that's my house. All you people on the internet now can stalk me or send me money. Uh, that's my call to sack. 
I don't love my cul-de-sac because it's a cul-de-sac. There's no nature there. There's no woods and rolling hills. But listen, God cares about Longmont Place. That place matters. And as much as I wish I was somewhere else, God is saying, no, where you are matters. And what he's saying to you, listen, church, the place that you are called is right where you are right now. If you weren't called there, you want to be there. And you are where you are for a reason. Maybe you're like me. Do you wish you were somewhere else? I'm not saying it's wrong to move to a different city. I'm not saying it's wrong to look for a house somewhere else. God could very well lead you somewhere else. But what about right now? Maybe you think the place that you are doesn't matter because it's so small and insignificant. But listen, the gospel is reaching into your neighborhood, into your workplace, into your school. God cares about the cubicle next to your cubicle. God cares about the assembly line that you work on. God cares about the four walls in your house, and he cares about your cul-de-sac because places matter. He is looking for a people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. Where are pointless places for you? Because listen, there are places the gospel reaches that you don't think it will. And we all have them the really small, insignificant places. I mean, think about it. Philip, Samaria was huge. That was a win. What is he doing going to the middle of nowhere? I mean, how cool would it be to see a revival break out in New York City or Chicago or Los Angeles? I mean, we're praying for it here in Fort Wayne, a decent-sized city, right? But what about Leo? What about Cherubusco? Do those places matter? God may call you there. He may call you to an insignificant place. But it's not insignificant to him. Do you believe that where you are matters? I know where God has called you. Because you're right there right now. Jim Elliott, who's come up quite a bit recently... Interestingly enough, Jim Elliot has this quote, and I love it. He says this, wherever you are, be all there. Live to the hilt wherever God has called you. We need to be amazed that the gospel reaches everywhere. There's no place it can't go. There's no place it won't. The second thing we need to be amazed at, the second aspect of the reach of the gospel, is that the gospel reaches everyone. The gospel reaches everyone. Because, again, if we're honest, there are people, just like there are places, there are people that we think the gospel won't reach. There are people that we think that God has forgotten or they're too far gone. And you may say, no, I don't think that. You do. Because we all do. There are people like, nope, they can't come back. And this text shows us otherwise and, again, reminds us it was always the plan. Let's pick up again in our story go back to verse 27 it says and he rose and went speaking of philip and there was an ethiopian a eunuch a court official of candace queen of the ethiopians who was in charge of all her treasure 
he had come to Jerusalem and was returning seated in his chariot and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? He invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shear is silent. So he opens not his mouth, and his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. So Philip is in the middle of nowhere, he comes upon this man who's who's an Ethiopian. Did you notice? The book of Luke and the book of Acts, uh, the author of these books, Luke, is pretty obsessive about names, right? Like, he loves naming people. In fact, that is one of the key books for apologists and defending scripture of all these actual names of real people in history. But notice who's missing a name. The Ethiopian. We have his, we have his queen. Her name's Candace, but who is he? I think... The point here is because it's not about the Ethiopian eunuch. It's about who he represents. Because Luke gives us a really interesting profile, an interesting bio of who this guy is. Check this out. First of all, we identified early on just a couple minutes ago that he's a foreigner, right? He's an Ethiopian. And we talked about how uh, Gentiles are treated among the Jewish people, how they're separate from God. They're not allowed to be part of the people of God. Their attitudes were pretty negative. We do know that he was a God-fearer, right? He was traveled to uh, Jerusalem to worship. Clearly, he believed in Yahweh, the God of the Jewish people. He was very wealthy. He was a treasurer for the queen. He was traveling in a chariot, which is very uh, unusual for that day unless you had a lot of money. I would argue is. Wealth is probably unfulfilling, or else he wouldn't be on his way to Jerusalem, all the way from Ethiopia. But he didn't have a limited understanding of the scriptures, right? He was seeking, help me understand, I don't get this. And it identifies him as a eunuch. Now, that's a little bit awkward, but I want us to lean in on this, because I'm telling you right now, the fact that he was a eunuch has everything to do with the meaning of this text. Because how does the rest of the text refer to this man? Not as an Ethiopian, as a eunuch. So eunuchs in this uh, period of time were in a very precarious position. In fact, they, it was very negative. It was a very shameful thing to be a eunuch. From a, well, first of all, he, the reason he was a eunuch, it tells us, because he worked in the Queen Candace's court. That's what they did to people who served in kings and queens court during this time period because they needed to protect their lineage. They need to make sure there was no risk that my lineage was protected. So all the perks with being in a court weren't so great. And you have to remember during an ancient world, your lineage meant everything. If you had no children, you were forgotten to history. They carried on your family name. They carried on your legacy. You were somebody when you had kids. That's why all the barren women in the Old Testament were in so much grief all the time because they had no kids. And here we have this man 
who knows he will be forgotten in history. But he even has a bigger problem. See, in the Old Covenant, under Jewish law, do you know what happens to eunuchs? Deuteronomy 23 tells us that they aren't allowed to enter the temple. They aren't allowed to worship at the temple. They can't. There's separation there. So imagine being this man who travels all the way to Jerusalem. And I know this is maybe some speculation, but I can imagine him traveling all the way to Jerusalem. He goes to worship and he gets there and he's all excited because, hey, this God that I'm reading about, I'm going to worship him. And he gets there and he can't go in. So he's on his way back. And I think the best way to describe the state this man is in is hopeless. But did you catch the text that Philip overheard him reading? If you look in your Bibles, most Bibles have a little footnote there. It should tell you that this uh, text is from Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. Let's, let's read it again. If you're in the book of Acts right now, it's Acts 8, 32. It says, Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth. And you can sense there's this ache and this hope, this, this looking for hope that this man has as he reads this text, right? Because he answers Philip, like, how can I understand this if nobody explains it to me? You may ask yourself, well, what, what is going on with this text? Why this text I think there's three reasons this text would resonate so much with this particular gentleman. First of all, we just remember, right? He just left the temple where worship con- right, consisted of doing what? Do you remember how they worshiped in the temple? They slaughtered animals. We sing when we worship, right? We come here, we bring our praise, our, we sing out loud, we preach. In the temple system, worship consisted of slaughtering animals. What did he just read? Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. He just witnessed that. But number two is this. He reads, who can describe his generation? That's a rhetorical question that Isaiah is asking. And what he's basically saying is, who can explain... What kids he has. No one can because he doesn't have kids. Because he died before he could. Now, Isaiah 53, if you don't know, is talking about what a lot of, uh, what most scholars refer to as the suffering servant. The, the, the Messiah for the Israel, Israeli people who, who would come and suffer to bring about their forgiveness and their future. And so he's reading this text about this suffering servant and and he's resonating with him because the suffering servant goes to the slaughter. Like he just saw the suffering servant has the shame that he has with no children, no lineage. But Isaiah 53 also precedes Isaiah 54 and 55 and 56. And in these books of Isaiah, you read about these promises that the suffering servant is going to make happen. He's going to restore Israel. He's going to make things new again. He's going to remove the curse. 
And he's going to do this. Turn to Isaiah 56. Isaiah 56, beginning in verse 1. I can imagine this Ethiopian eunuch reading this, where it says, Thus says the Lord, Keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come and my righteousness be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it and keeping his hand from doing any evil. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the thing, things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. So you have this man, this Ethiopian eunuch, reading this text, and he's saying, who is it that's going to make this come true? This is what I want. This is why I traveled all the way to Jerusalem. Who is it? Will you tell me, please? And Philip, Philip opens his mouth, and he says, I know who. Let me tell you. It's not the prophet. It's a guy named Jesus. And he shows him and tells him how Jesus came and he bore the sin and he bore the shame. He is the, he is the suffering servant who went to the slaughter and opened not his mouth and he bore all the sin and all the shame and rose from the dead. And now, now this man has a hope. Now he can be part of the people of God. He was not a people of God and now he is. He was in darkness. Now he's in light. And then what appears in the desert? water. Spiritual life is found, and this man responds immediately to declare publicly his loyalty to Jesus, and he says, I will be baptized. This is my Messiah. This is my Savior, I believe. This is the point, church. The gospel reaches those who are far off and most hopeless. The gospel reaches those who are far off and most Hopeless. There are none who are hopeless who can't have hope. The truth is we're all, we're all prone to bias. We, we hate to admit it, but we all have people, like I said, who are on our list of, I don't think so. I think that person's too far gone. And maybe, maybe somebody like Casey Diaz is on your list. Casey Diaz is a pastor and an author now, but Casey grew up in South L.A., and he was a gang member. In fact, he was the head of a gang, and a very violent gang. Eventually, his crimes caught up to him, and uh, the police sentenced him to 13 years um, in prison for second-degree murder and 52 counts of armed robbery. While he was in prison, um, prisons are very dangerous. There are gangs in prisons, and he became what's known as a shot caller in the prison system, meaning he was like the mob boss of the gangs in prison. He decided who gets what punishments for what crimes. Because of this position he had, he quickly found himself in solitary confinement. Solitary confinement consists of like an eight by 10 room, no windows, just a door with a slot for food. The lights never turn off. And he was in there 
for weeks and months. One day, he's sitting in his cell, and he hears the voice of an older woman on the other side of the cell door. And uh, the older woman asks the guard standing there, is, is there someone in that cell? And the guard said, uh, yes, ma'am, but you don't want to deal with DS. You're wasting your time. And she answered, well, Jesus came for him too. So she comes up at the door and she says, uh, young man, can I speak with you? How are you doing? He replied sarcastically, going to be better. And she said, young man, I'm going to pray for you. He didn't believe it, didn't believe he could be helped, just brushed her off. But she came back for months over and over, went up to the door, prayed for him. And after months of this, God reached into Casey Diaz's heart and he saw in his mind all the sins that he committed, all the crimes that he committed over the years. And then he saw in his mind a bloody Jesus on a cross. And he knew those were his sins that he was paying for. And that night he got on his knees and he confessed every single sin. And he said, I felt like a weight was lifted off his shoulders. Eventually he was released from solitary confinement he was released back into the prison system, the regular prison system, and he was beaten regularly for being a Christian and for abandoning and turning his back on his fellow gang members. And you know what he said? He said, I was okay with that because I was no longer a shot caller. I found a new calling, telling other inmates about Jesus. See, Casey Diaz probably seemed to so many as too far gone for the gospel to reach. But there was a woman who said, nope, there is no one who is too far gone. And she was willing to go and be the voice of Jesus to open her mouth and say, there is hope. So who are the people that seem beyond reach in your life? Right now, there are people in your life you think are beyond reach. Who are they? Maybe you think they're hopeless and unqualified. Maybe you think they're too crazy in their beliefs. They're too antagonistic. Or maybe you assume they aren't hopeless at all. Maybe you look at them and you're like, oh, they live a happy life. They're wealthy. Their kids are doing great. I know they're not Christians, but they are living the prime of life. Like, ah, they don't, they're, they're not hopeless. They have all that they could want. They don't need Jesus. I'm telling you right now, it's a lie. Because without Jesus, everyone is hopeless. They are putting on a mask. Do you tend to assume certain people are beyond hope? We have to, have to get that idea out of our minds. How often do you remember who you were before Christ. You may say to yourself, ah, that person's beyond hope. They can't be saved, but you were. If you think that somebody can't be saved, you need to look in the mirror. Because God was willing to save a wretch like you. No one is beyond hope. The gospel is so good and so amazing that it reaches everyone. The last aspect of the gospel I want us to be amazed at is this, is, is the gospel reaches through you. 
The gospel reaches through you. We tend to forget that God intends to use us. We're the tools that God uses. He doesn't need to use us, but he wants to. Let's pick up again in verse 34. The eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. See, because of Philip's obedience, because Philip was willing to be used by God, because he obeyed and went and, and heard the call and responded, this man got saved. This man became a believer. And you better believe when he got back to Ethiopia, he had some things to say, didn't he? You may have noticed some interesting parallels in this story to another story. Jesus on the road to Emmaus. Jesus also came upon somebody journeying, two men, two disciples. In Luke 24 to 13, Jesus also overheard some conversation about a Messiah. In 24 to 14, Jesus also engaged with a question Jesus also began with a text and showed it was all about him, just like Philip. And the most fascinating part to me is Jesus was taken away after the disciples' eyes were opened and they realized he was the Messiah, that he was Jesus, and so was Philip. You may say, well, what's the point of that? And I I think the point is this, that the mission of Jesus is being carried on by his followers, Notice that Philip was doing the same things Jesus was doing. And here's what I have to say to you. We need to be doing the same things that Jesus and Philip was doing. Now, we're not going to be whisked away out of the blue to some other place, I don't think. You're not going to wake up one day and find yourself in a different town. But we're all being called to places. Those, we've all had those moments where it seems like out of the blue, this opportunity shows up. Those aren't out of the blue. That's the spirit working. That's God moving for you to act. Remember I told you I don't know why I'm in my neighborhood? That's, well, I do know why I'm in my neighborhood. That cul-de-sac has some people who need Jesus. One person in particular, will we'll call her Jane for now. Jane is a a woman who recently moved to the United States about a year ago. um, She married a man in our cul-de-sac, and uh, my wife has worked really hard to befriend her. She doesn't have, um, she has a job now, but she didn't for a long time. There's a strong language barrier, though, because she's not from the U.S., but she's worked really, really hard and looking for all sorts of opportunities to try to connect with her and her husband. In fact, uh, one night this past winter, it was like 11 o'clock at night, um, we had a really bad snowstorm, and I go to climb in bed, and my wife was like, hey, Drew, uh, Jane and her husband are out there shoveling. I think you need to go help them. 
And I'm like, I just went to sleep though. It's super late. It's 11 o'clock. I have to feed the baby in three hours. She's still looking out the window. Drew, I think you need to go help her. I'm like, no. Snuggle in just a little bit more. Get a little cozier. She's like, no, I really think you need to help him. So being a a really good husband, a really godly man, uh, I get out, put all my clothes back on, and I go out and I help her and her husband shovel. And would you, true story, like at least three times since then, they have brought up the fact that we came in the middle of the night to help them shovel their driveway. So we're looking for these connections. And just this past week, pull out of her driveway. My boys need to deliver some library books before our fines end up at like $100. Uh, we see her walking. And so roll down the window. I was like, hey, Jane, do you, need, do you need a ride anywhere? She's like, no, I'm just going for a walk. We're like, are you sure we can take you somewhere? And she's like, well, uh, where are you going? Just going to the library, take some back, books back. Can I come? Sure. So open the van door. She jumps in, decides to go to the library with us. I don't know. She said, I just need to be around people. I said, okay. So we take her to the library. And would you believe in the middle of the DuPont Branch Library, Catherine just asks, hey, how's your mother-in-law doing? I haven't seen her in a while. And blah, she spills her guts and says, I'm not talk- I can't talk to her right now. She doesn't want to have anything to do with me because I asked too many questions. She's a Christian and I have all these questions. And she says she's making me question her faith and uh, bringing up doubts. And uh, she won't talk to me anymore. And I, I just have all these questions. And Catherine's like, you have questions? We can answer. Bring us your questions. We'll answer your questions. Of course, like, she immediately asked, like, the deepest question you could possibly think of. And I'm like, I don't have three minutes to answer this question. This is like a sit-down conversation. But the point is, I'm on Logmont Place because Jane needs Jesus. Will I obey the call? And there are people in your life who it seems like out of the blue, God is doing things and it's not out of the blue. Jesus obeyed his father's call. Philip obeyed Jesus's call. Will you obey Jesus's call? Here's some practical lessons from Philip and from Christ. Obey the call. Obey the call. You are called to be a light. You are called to be where you are. You are called to witness, to minister to the people in your life. The second is this. Pay attention. Jesus was listening to those disciples. Philip was listening to the man as he was reading. He was paying attention to what was going on. Are you paying attention to the lives of the people around you? Are you hearing what's going on in their life? Or do you know if they have lost a job? Do you know how many kids they have? Do you know what their likes are, what their dislikes are? Are you paying attention to what's going on in their life? I'm not saying be a stalker. That's creepy. But you can learn. Ask questions. Jesus was the best question asker. That's the right way to say it. Philip asked questions, didn't he? You'd be amazed. Jesus, or Jamie talked about this last week, right? It's a, you'd be amazed at what people say when you just ask a question. We just asked Jane, like, hey, how's, how's your mother-in-law doing? Blah, it comes out. Just ask. People will share. Next one is depend on Scripture. Because here's the deal. 
It's God's word that saves people. Not your smart tactics, not your apologetics, as important as all those things are, at the end of the day, it's God who saves people, his word, not you. We just get to be used. We just get to speak it. So if you're like, I have this much time to do anything, I want you to, to prep, to do whatever, I want you to spend this much time knowing God's word. Because if you just know God's word, you will be more than enough prepared to share the good news of Jesus with people who need it. And the last is this. Open your mouth and lead them to Jesus. He's the answer. Jesus made it his whole purpose to show the world that I am the fulfillment of your hope. That's what he told the disciples on the road to Emmaus. That's what Philip told the Ethiopian eunuch. I am it. Whatever your people in your life are looking for, I can guarantee you that Jesus is the fulfillment of that. If it's security, if it's hope, if it's peace, if it's pleasure, he fulfills it all. And you point them to him. He will give it. He will grant it. That's why he came. So church, I want you to be amazed this morning. The gospel is amazing. When you sing amazing grace to really mean it and be amazed at how far and deep and wide it reaches. It reaches everywhere. It reaches everyone and it's reaching through you. Will you obey? Let's pray. God, we are so incredibly grateful that the gospel reached us. We were all Ethiopian eunuchs, separated from God, hopeless, unsure of a future. But you called us and you saved us and you showed us your love and you gave us Jesus. God, I pray that we would leave here with that joy and that hope and that amazement and share it with all the people where you've placed us. None of this has happened by accident. You are a sovereign God who is in control of every minutia of our life and you are working out your plan to save sinners. God, we want to join that. And we want to be a church that is excited and passionate about joining that mission of saving sinners. So help us to do that even this week. And we will give you the glory. In the name of your son we pray, amen. Thank you, church. You are loved.